0: brand new episode of T watches a scary movie my name is T and of course we're talking scary movies I appreciate y'all tuning in for another brand new episode remember new episodes go up every Wednesday night Uh, the video version goes up on YouTube at 8 30 p.m. at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds scary movie again that's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds scary movie And Our audio version actually goes up half an hour before at 8 p.m., which you can catch on all your favorite podcasting platforms, including iTunes. And even more recently, uh, we're now on Amazon Music and Audible as well, too. So catch us pretty much anywhere that you're trying to listen to your podcast. I hope you do go back and check out some old episodes, because if you managed to check out the one right before this, you would have saw my interview with film and TV star Jerry O'Connell. That's right, uh, got one of my white whales on the show. Been following Jerry's career for such a long, long time. Y'all know Scream 2 is the pinnacle of the Scream series for me. It's absolutely the best in the series, and it's one of my favorite slashers, and just one of my all-time favorite movies as well, too. So I was super excited to get a chance to actually sit down and talk, to, uh, talk with him a little bit, but you can also find other great things like my interview with Alex Vincent from the Child's Play and the Chucky series, as well as interviews I've had with a few other filmmakers over the last couple of years as well, too. We've had a uh, varied amount of episodes here as we get close to 100. Yeah, that's right. We are closing in on 100 episodes here of the show, which is ridiculous. When I started this show in uh, fall of 2020, told myself... This is gonna be a short-term thing. I was just doing it for the lockdowns themselves to keep from going crazy, and that kept going, and that kept going, and that kept going, and we are now up to uh, 86 episodes. 86 episodes, and that's that's kinda crazy. That's really kinda crazy to think about the fact that uh, we're gonna get to 100 sooner than later. So I appreciate those of y'all who have taken this entire journey with me. If you're just joining now, Uh, hopefully I got some good stuff to bring to your table because we've talked about a lot of horror movies in 86 episodes now. And we're not stopping anytime soon. We're just gonna keep on going and going and going. And that's one of the best things about this year, as I see a spider. I swear to God, if you're just coming into this show, me finding spiders while I record is like the national pastime of this show. Because I record in my basement where I have my studio set up and there's just spiders and I kill spiders all the time. So the fact that there are more spiders, it's just, it's taunting me, it's taunting me. Uh, But I digress, Uh, if you're just joining us, we have a lot of great stuff to talk this year, including tonight, I am going against the grain. Y'all know my feelings on Guillermo del Toro. Uh, I am not his biggest fan. Not that it's his movies themselves, uh, though I did not like Crimson Peak. Uh, yeah, not a big fan of Crimson Peak or uh, Pacific Rim, honestly, and Shape of Water is very, med, uh, very mid. Um, but it's just, I I have a big issue with him signing up for a million projects. None of them get made, so they all get tied up in rights hell for forever. It's, it's been a thing. But because... Uh, I wanted a chance to like rewatch Mimic because I do like early Guillermo del Toro like Mimic was my shit and I was like alright, I need something to pair with this and Nightmare Alley Which uh, is not necessarily what you might think of in terms of a horror film actually after a, a second watch of it has a lot more in and, and common with uh, with uh, with old school horror than a lot of his more recent films, more so than Crimson Pink that had ghosts and everything in it, and even more so than The Shape of Water that had, for all intents and purposes, Gilman in that. Um, I found a lot to like with Nightmare Alley. So tonight, that's what we're talking. We're going over a couple of Guillermo del Toro's works, Nightmare Alley, and Mimic. So before we get started up, you know about the YouTube page, you know where you can find the audio version of the show. Don't forget, Follow me on Twitter at AXDW at Axdo. I am giving away two copies of Scream 5. That's right, one digital copy and then one physical copy. In order to uh, qualify for that, all you have to do, go back and find my tweet about the Jerry O'Connell interview, like that, and retweet it. And that's all you have to do. You're automatically entered. I'm going to be announcing uh, the winners next week on uh, next week on the show for uh, the cursed and cursed that we'll be looking at and reviewing. So, again, if you want a chance to win a copy, a Scream 5 digital copy, or a physical copy that will also come in a digital one, make sure to find my previous tweet uh, with my Jerry O'Connell interview, like that and share it. You got a chance to win a free copy there, folks. Also, you can find me on Instagram at Theron underscore Reynolds. You can find all the fun photos I throw up there. And uh, that's where my promo work is going up a lot of times as well, too. Uh, yeah, follow me on all the social media channels. And, of course, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups TscaryMovie. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash TscaryMovie. You can join up with our watch parties from there. You can find written reviews that I do. You can find breaking news that I put out and you can just have fun chatting with me and everybody else there in the group as well. So uh, different ways to connect with us here on T, Watches a Scary Movie. But it is time to just jump right into it because uh, yeah, I got a lot to say here. I got a lot to say about these. So we're gonna start with Nightmare Alley. Now. Remember, rule the show, 10 years for spoilers, all right? Twitter is one thing, but while we're on the show there, I'm always gonna do my damnedest to make sure I'm not spoiling anything that has been out less than 10 years so you get a chance to actually enjoy it, or it might just be a spoil-heavy episode like we did with Scream 5, me and my good friend Eric Brady. But we're not gonna spoil Nightmare Alley. Now, I will admit that when I saw the trailers for Nightmare Alley a while back and was reading a lot about it and people's interest in it, I wasn't that interested just because to me, it's like, okay, this is gonna follow the trend of what Guillermo del Toro has been doing the last few projects, like with Crimson Peak and with uh, The Shape of Water, to where there are horrific elements, but it's not really a straight up horror film, it's this gothic romance. And that's what Crimson Peak was, that's what The Shape of Water was, and to an extent, that's kind of what Nightmare Alley is, but we're gonna circle back around to that because after my second viewing of Nightmare Alley, I've decided firmly what I feel this movie is evoking for sure. Uh, Nightmare Alley tells the story of Bradley Cooper's Stan, uh, who when we meet him, he's in the process of burning a body and just getting out of town. And we don't know that much about him. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions and preconceived notions we could probably make given the time period, given it's Bradley Cooper, given like what he looks like and everything. But either way, Stan finds himself uh, beginning to work for a local circus. He manages to work his way up from doing work of dismantling the circus tents themselves, to help catching one of the circus performers, to eventually actually being a part of a number of acts in it. And as we see Stan uh, continually work himself up, it's interesting because we look at this character and we think, man, like this is an ambitious guy. And it's a smart guy as well, too. He's gonna end up one day, you know, owning this circus. He's gonna be the one that's running it all. And there's a cast of characters in this very, very colorful circus, which is one of the best things about this movie. Is that uh, Guillermo del Toro really does bring alive this old school vibe that <clears throat> uh, Nightmare Alley is bringing us back from, like, you know, the thirty or thirties or forties, basically. And this circus itself is a character. You know, we have the we have the mentalist there. We have the strongest man in the world. We have the smallest man in the world. We have the snake man. We have the girl who can run uh, a million watts of electros- uh, electricity through her body. They have so many acts there. And we kind of see as Bradley Cooper's character takes in all of these and just gets to understand what life is like living in the circus. Nobody cares what you did or where you came from. Um, we're a family here and everybody takes care of each other. Does it work? If you're not doing that, if everybody's looking out for number one, then this can't work. And that in lies, the problem with Stan is that we slowly start to learn about his character is that Stan is missing something. Stan is, uh, is missing a piece of him that completes like his desires that completes what he wants on this planet. And he keeps trying to fill that with one thing after another, and his desires keep growing because he's ambitious, as I already said, and he just wants more and more and more. So as he starts out taking down the circus tent to helping uh, helping the owner, who played by Will uh, Willem Dafoe, catch their geek. Uh, geek is a circus performer who bites the head, heads off chickens and drinks their blood. Uh, it's an old time practice, obviously not in modern circuses, which really aren't that big of a thing anymore either way, but. Um, he, he helps to capture the geek that, uh, that's employed by the circus. He eventually becomes part of the mentalist act. He eventually becomes part of the electric girls act and he keeps building himself up and up as he keeps trying to upgrade this circus and upgrade the performers and certain acts within it. And he's even told by multiple people, you know, that like that there's a cloud about him, that there's something, something wrong with him, that he's a maybe And that maybes are bad. Maybes are bad news, basically. And that other characters just have this bad sense about him as well. And what's so interesting about that is that the movie purposely chooses to kind of leave us in, leave us wondering about Stan and his motivations. At least through through the first half of that film. We're very, very much on Stan's side. We're very much backing him. He's clearly our protagonist here. We wanna see him succeed. It's like, okay, of course, you're gonna be the guy who's gonna learn all these tricks from the circus, and then you're gonna get your own act within it, and eventually you're probably gonna leave because as you've been telling a couple of characters, you're better than that, and that they could be better than that as well too. And it still endears us to Stan because we know given the trajectory of uh of bad things that happened in the first half of this film when a number of characters dying and cruelty being placed upon a number of characters as well too we know that this is probably not going to end well for stan but we still like to see him building himself up and getting into something grander and greater than just the circus and it's both a delight and it also is a punishment because, again, such a lively environment, such a great setting for the first, uh, you know, the first quarter, the first half of this film itself. Because it really is a character amongst its uh, amongst the whole cast that's in this, uh, being at this circus. And something that kind of stood out to me a bit, uh, as we see um, both Stan and these other characters and these storylines progress throughout the film is that part of the early part where stan is trying to chase down and help them find the geek of the circus he ends up in a fun house and this fun house very clearly outlines like the seven deadly sins and like the devil and evil and lust and greed are very much pointed out and it seems like a lot of heavy foreshadowing because a lot of these themes and these motifs they focus on in this fun house at the circus seemingly get picked up as we move further and it's kind of like were are metaphorically watching Stan enter hell basic at the at the be not the beginning but um, close to the beginning of this film when he goes to the funhouse to find the geek because his problems only get worse from there as he gets a job with the circus and then that turns to even more ambition then he leaves the circus um, things just start taking a turn for worse and one of the most valuable lessons that Stan Uh, was imparted to from the circus performers is that as a job of mentalist you know you don't want to do a spook show like their job basically is to find easy marks pick up telltale signs and play a crowd you know like you can guess certain things you can you can pull secrets out that there's no way you would you would have known there unless you're picking up on these minor details about these characters coming to your shows you have an assistant they can help you identify thing and uh, things and pick up certain traits about these marks as well too. But again, Stan is told, you know, you never wanna get too close about it. surface level things that you can easily pick up, put out there and move on. Because if you linger, that's how folks get caught. That's how people see through the mystery, see through the lie. And this begins the start of Stan's hubris, is that Stan uh, starts to begin to think that he's the smartest one in the room and that he's infallible and that no matter what he can keep up a mystery about him on the other hand one of the other things we're led to in this circus is the treatment of this uh of the certain part of the circus this performer called the geek who as i mentioned is there to bite the heads off chicken and chickens and drink their blood but uh as it's brought to his attention you know usually the role of a geek is somebody who actually didn't want the job, doesn't want the job, has no desire to be there at all. You know, typically it's somebody that's an alcoholic, they're down on their luck, they're running from something, they need help in the least bit, and they're promised the uh, promise, the bright lights, and the uh, the offer of a temporary job until they can move into something else. But in reality, they're being tricked and kind of going a modern theme, they're being trafficked to offer something more to this circus. And it's a very important and it's a very vital lesson that's brought upon Stan again towards the beginning of this film of, you know, it's a cautionary tale that these things that happen to people who, you know, just don't go anywhere in life or they make the wrong decisions in life, something bad that puts them there. So Stan leaves the circus and uh, he, he doesn't leave the circus alone, which is. Obviously, something we can guess given this cast and everything, but um, Stan leaves with uh, with Molly, Molly Cahill, who is the electric girl from the circus. And they begin their own act where Stan as a mentalist and Molly as his assistant uh, puts on shows for the wealthy elite of New York. And Stan, as we can tell, has gotten a bit jaded over the course of doing a number of these shows. Um, he's become uh, kind of the asshole he's no longer this dreamer that just wants like wants to get better and wants these opportunities. now it's a case of everything is just not good enough for Stan. it's there's always going to be something better and that leads him into the employ of a couple of powerful rich uh, rich men who are looking for connections to the afterlife and this is where Stan's troubles really start from there. Now, the horror of this movie comes a lot from the brutality of men. Uh, What men will do to get what they want and what they will do to keep things a secret. And as we see the progression of this, not only with Stan, but with other characters in this film and things proceed to get worse and worse and worse, you know, there's just this feeling of this is not gonna work out for anybody involved by the time this is all said and done. And that's one of the best things about this film is that Guillermo del Toro knows really how to build, um, build that despair and build that sense of overwhelming uh, dread that's coming, that you can't shake the feeling that this is not gonna work out and that we're watching Stan uh, along with Molly kind of forcibly uh, trying to, uh, trying to move up and up and up and up and up, but there's too much hubris. There's too, much, uh, there's too much wanting. There's too much desire there uh, that we know at some point it all has to come crashing down. And that puts Stan and Molly in the employ of a very rich and powerful and unfortunately evil man, uh, Ezra Grindle, played by Richard Jenkins, who needs Stan's help to communicate with the figure from his past. Um and I don't want to share any more plot details because anything else I give away is going to be too spoiler, spoiler heavy. I will say that as the film moves away from the circus and it moves into New York and like this Gotham, gothicy kind of uh, uh, version of New York, um, I was reminded a lot of, and it's funny, you know, to have it on, of Batman uh there's a lot about the world that stan and molly escaped to from the circus that seems very very reminiscent of old batman comics or even like the first couple of like first two or three batman films actually to where again new york itself we don't see much of new york but it's weird that the bits and pieces that we do of the city of the settings of the characters walking all through it it really does for some reason come off as like this old school Batman movie, for some reason, a very, a very, uh, uh, very mean and unforgiving Batman movie, but one nevertheless. And that kind of also hurts the film, as interesting as it is, and as interesting as it all looks. the The circus setting of the first half of the film is such a highlight, and it's so invigorating. It's it's bright, it's colorful, but it also does all that while also being kind of dull and mundane and selling the fact that Stan and and, uh, Molly need to get desperately away from this circus. Uh, It's still the best setting of the film. So New York isn't as interesting. Um, And from that point, it's kind of like, Instead of us following the setting that they're in, we're more so following Stan as he just gets more and more outrageous. And that's kind of the setting that we're looking at, if that makes sense. And it is interesting because each time Stan makes a worse decision, you know, this is one of those movies where you're actually like in your head, you're shouting at the screen like, don't do it. Just walk away. Go this way and do that instead. I know that's a big thing for horror films, but it is. It, it felt even more so with Stan, because Stan is like the architect of his own uh, his own downfall, basically. And with all of that, with the pulpy vibes of New York City looking a lot like Gotham, uh, the brutality of a lot of the characters in this film, uh, the big, big twist at the end, which I did not see coming, but I absolutely should have uh, seen coming. Um, all these kind of elements wrapped together And I found myself very much considering Nightmare Alley to be a Tales from the Crypt movie and or episode. And that is the best and nicest thing I can say about this movie because I really, really did enjoy it. And upon first watch, I remember thinking, you know, this this wasn't that great, honestly. I wasn't as intrigued with everything um, after they left the circus up until the ending, and that ending really saved it. But then I watched it another time And I realized that this actually legitimately is a movie to where you're going to need multiple watches to not only pick other things up, but like, cause that message is important. I don't feel that the message we get at the end of the film, it's fantastic, but weirdly enough, I don't know if you can get all the enjoyment out of it upon a first watch. Like I feel you need that second one to really cement uh, everything that builds up to this ending itself, but it all seemed very much like a Tales from the Crypt episode though. and uh, I know it's a cheap, cheap uh, imitation to do because they're both set at circuses. But if you if you know the episode I'm talking about, "Dick That Cat," he's real gone with a uh, Joey Pontilano, uh, Joey Pants, playing a circus performer who gets this operation, and gives him the nine lives of a cat, and that's his act is that uh, he can keep being killed over and over and over. And this is also about this man's hubris and about how. He's the architect of his own demise and leaving to, leading to his own downfall as well. And, of course, that one stays at, at the circus. It's only, you know, 20, 23, 25 minutes or so. So they're telling a very much more shorter story in that time frame. But there's a lot of similarities with Tales from the Crypt and Nightmare Alley here. Like, I feel that this is the kind of cautionary tale we would see in a show like that. Compared to something like a Twilight Zone or a Tales from the Dark Side, it just seems to fit. So I'm curious if y'all think the same thing, watch it if you haven't already, and then tell me whether or not you feel, we have the, the theme song, the Crypt Keeper popping up at the beginning to do an intro, tell me I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, and I know we could say that about a bunch of horror films, but if you know, you know, this absolutely feels like a crypt movie. Uh, I enjoyed this one a lot, and that is saying a heck of a lot, a heck of a lot right now, Uh, about Guillermo del Toro because again, y'all know I am not the biggest fan in the world. And yet and still, I really, really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Um, Cannot recommend it it enough. There are not a lot of scares in here, so let me just be clear on that. If you are watching this, there aren't gonna be jump scares or anything that are gonna pop out and freak you out. But overall, I do feel that you can leave this movie Feeling like you just gotta have a good horror experience if you were to check this one out. So, Nightmare Alley, give it a watch. It is a, it's a fantastic film and definitely one of the only Guillermo del Toro movies I have liked in recent memory. And with that, we're gonna change gears over to Mimic. So, uh, like Scream 2, I lived in Australia for a few years and I got to see a lot of horror movies in Australia when I was there and one of those movies was mimic now mimic tells the story of a couple of scientists who are trying to cure this disease that's rampaging through New York really enough Guillermo de Toro loves his New York settings but this disease that's rampaging through New York and it's killing off children at an incredibly large rate a couple of scientists team up to design uh, the design A bug that can basically uh, eradicate this disease problem is is that after a few years this bug has evolved and it has uh, slowly started to become a killer of other sorts as in a physical killer because it's a now giant mutated set of bugs and if that sounds wonky and crazy, and this is a Guillermo del Toro movie, I would remind y'all that again, before we started getting the more fantastical uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro films, we got a lot of really, really cool monster movies from him back in the day as well. Hellboy, this, Chronos Blade Two, uh, like that's what the man like absolutely excels at. And again, I get you got to change your shit up there. This is just the way that I used to love Guillermo del Toro, and mimic had so much in it that i was interested in like Mira servino was just coming off Romeo and michelle's high school reunion so i guess I was like cool all right i'll watch anything Mira servino's in josh brolin was in it and that is like not long after uh, i found the goonies and it became one of my favorite films So i wanted to see anything any of the goonies were in that were not goonies roles and so yeah josh brolin's gonna do do this giant bug movie i'm in on that as well too Uh, And then, of course, um, uh, Charles S. Dutton, who I loved in Alien 3 and Rock. I was like, all right, there's a lot of good elements here for this to work. Now, as a kid, I can remember 100% not giving a shit about uh strickler's disease which is the name of this disease they make up for the movie that's killing all these kids i didn't care about the early part because none of that really made sense like i understood these scientists did something and it was about cockroaches and now these cockroaches are evolved years later and now they're coming back and killing people in the subways that's all i need i didn't need to know about the early part um uh, but it is interesting though Uh, as an adult going back and watching the early part of this movie because it's such a small like small part of this film honestly and i know that's why a lot of horror movie setups work is that it has nothing at all to do with that but this film really like just said yeah you know fuck it like we'll give you like the little bit of this story and then we're never ever going back to it and that's not to say good or bad one way or the other guillermo del toro along with matthew robbins wrote this uh wrote this script so obviously Uh, the director had a heavy hand in what was gonna happen on screen and uh, I don't know um, I actually enjoyed the fact that we didn't have to really go back to it because I didn't want to hear all this random science and and everything like that throughout the film like you can sum it up to us in just a few sentences because I know we're watching a monster movie and they do I mean they basically say look These are these cockroaches that we developed to cure this disease. It's been years at this point. They have evolved. Like they've had millions of years of evolution in a short period of time to where now they are uh, human sized and killing humans that happen to stumble upon them in certain places. And our scientists who designed them in the first place basically are back to stop this, uh, not invasion, but this possible invasion of these uh Judas breed cockroaches um which I guess it's it now it, is it a cockroach I guess it's like a prying mantis and something else right yeah I think it's a prime mantis I want to say actually um and that's your movie that's your movie there because we're gonna spend most of the time in the subways of Manhattan with these characters trying to escape for their lives now the design of these creatures this is before I say creatures but I'm gonna go with a word with it creeper like Jeepers Creepers. Y'all remember the creeper in Jeepers Creepers. Um, you know, this big ass monster has got wings, all these sharp ass teeth, sharp uh, sharp claws on his fingers and everything, got the wings and stuff, like basically a giant bug as it is there. And what's interesting is that Mimic came out only, I wanna say a year, maybe two years prior to Jeepers Creepers. And I think it was only one, but it came out before Jeepers Creepers And there are some similarities between the Creeper and the Judas Breed bugs inside Mimic. uh, To the fact that some of them wear a hat and a trench coat as well too, just like the Creeper does. They don't use weapons because they are actual bugs, but they made that scary before Jeepers Creepers did. Because, spoiler alert, we spend a little bit of the movie, a very small bit of the movie, with the idea that this could be a serial killer. They don't play play that much into it, and as a matter of fact, they did make two direct-to-video sequels for Mimic, which actually does play into that a little bit more. Those movies are not phenomenal, but the fact they wanna uh, go with that twist actually really is. But we get through the idea that these could be human pretty quickly, and we do figure out that these are bugs, and not only that, that these are, uh, again, they have no conscience, they are just bugs here, because the choice of victims throughout the film lets you know that there is no there is no consideration. There is no thought process there. They are just bugs going about and murdering things. And murder, they do. One of the best things about this film, um, not necessarily the death scenes, but just how brutal and bloody and and mean these bugs are when they're attacking people because they don't give a fuck and they have all these sharp-ass pincers and claws and everything, and they're just tearing folks completely the fuck up. And what's cool about it as well is that it does give a chance for, uh, to see like uh, a different characters actually do a little bit of shining because even our lead, Mira Savino, Mira Savino is our lead for sure. Outside of the Replacement Killers, y'all remember that one, Replacement Killers was dope as hell. With uh, Chow Yun-Fat? Yeah, I think with Chow Yun-Fat. Um uh, outside of that, Mira Savino you know, hasn't really done a lot of these like actiony, like uh, action-heavy roles like this. So it actually kind of fit her really perfectly. She portrays fear fantastically. You love rooting for her as she's trying to get away from all these bugs and save, you know, the rest of the people around her as well. Um, but then Charles S. dudden who got to shine really well in Alien 3, which is a really good movie, honestly, I do recommend Alien 3 whenever I can. Uh, but he gets another chance to shine as well too, and. I love the fact, and I, I'm sure there's more if I go back and look there. But you know, that's another prominent uh, black figure in horror because he got to do the stand-up thing for Ripley in Alien 3, and he kind of gets to do the stand-up thing for the cast of characters of Mimic as well too. Not necessarily spoiling anything, but Charles is done, is a stand-up guy in horror films. It very, uh, very much seems like it. I already talked about I love the design of the bugs, the death scenes themselves. Uh, While not overly gory, again, are brutal and they're mean. And so it gives us a creature and a villain to kind of root for because you want to see all the different ways this creature is going to get somebody or that it could potentially be stopped. And then even more of a bonus to it is that there are multiples of this creature as well. So it's not just one versus this group. There are a lot of these bugs in the subway. So even if the group does kill one or two, there always could be another one around the corner waiting to get them then. Um, It does not have the uh, nuanced dialogue of a lot of del Toro films like following this up, but you can definitely see some of the signs of the great filmmaker that he would become. And whether I like Guillermo del Toro's Toro's films or not, that's a personal preference. I can't say the man is a bad filmmaker because he's not a bad filmmaker. Me not liking some of his movies doesn't mean he's a terrible filmmaker because that would be asinine to say, things like Pacific Rim and things like Crimson Peak are just terrible movies. They are beautiful, beautifully shot movies, beautifully written movies. They're just not for me. And you can see some of the earlier traits that we get to know him for in Mimic, especially going from something like Mimic to Nightmare Alley. There are even small similarities between these two films as well. Uh, But it's absolutely one that you're going to enjoy if you're looking for a monster movie. But... Not even elevated, I don't like using elevated horror. Scream 5 made me feel bad about using that term. Um, But it's a monster movie that actually does a little bit more thinking in it we have much more likable protagonists compared to like your typical monster movie um and we don't we also don't set up the typical tropes of one does there is no nuclear explosion coming there is no the city's going to be shut down or anything like that like it's literally the stakes are look you either stop this or they're out like there is nothing else and i like that about keeping it down to earth that there isn't an implosion an, an impending explosion or anything that gives our uh our, gives our characters a time limit so Definitely make sure to go and check it out. Uh, both of these films are fantastic movies and Again, that is saying quite a lot from me who is not typically the Guillermo del Toro guy uh, I tend to fight against Recommendations a lot of times for his stuff and a lot of times that works out against me as well, too when I really stop and think about it, but They're both on HBO Max. You can check out Nightmare Alley and Mimic on HBO Max right now. So if you have that service, it's not going to cost you a dollar to go and watch either of these movies. Go and check them out. And let me know how you feel about Guillermo del Toro. What do you think about Blade 2, which is the best Blade film? Uh, I'll give that to him. What do you think about Pacific Rim? About Crimson Peak? About Hellboy? Let me know in the comments, y'all. And that is going to do it for us tonight. Make sure... To hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're liking everything on social media. And uh, yeah, make sure you're coming back next week. Where we're going to be talking about 2022's The Cursed. And then Wes Craven's werewolf movie Cursed. That's right. Werewolf Madness begins for the next couple of weeks. And going to give away Scream 5 to a couple of you as well. Thank you for joining us for another new episode. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.